This is Defenders TV podcast, episode 37, looking at Jessica Jones, season one, episode seven, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts. Welcome back, Defenders, to Defenders TV Podcast, our episode 37, which we are looking at, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts, the seventh episode of Jessica Jones in this season so far. I am one of your uh, hosts, John. I'm Chris. And I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And I just want to point out, we're not looking at Top Shelf Perverts, we're looking at the episode Top shelf. Yes, good point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, this would be a really weird podcast. Would that be even more perverted than the perverts themselves? That Potentially. We Potentially. are looking at the perverts. Being a voyeur to a pervert. Yeah, that's a bit weird. Yeah. Definitely. It's like a Russian doll of, of perverts. Exactly. Um, <laughs> what an episode. <laughs> absolutely. What a tragic episode. Um, yeah. Uh, we are... Going to be eating um, a sacrificial banana bread, I reckon, um, mm-hmm. to to Reuben, and maybe even a Reuben sandwich as Possibly. well. Possibly. I want a Reuben sandwich. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know mm, rye bread with pastrami, bit of sauerkraut, and some Russian sauce. <laughs> Lovely. But remember, you can find us here on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, and you can subscribe to us there, or subscribe to us in any other good podcast catcher such as player fm podcast addict beyond pod or stitcher again just search defenders tv podcast and of course it's uh, nothing without you our listeners so if you want to provide any feedback or comments or discussion points on the, the series of jessica jones or any of the episodes or the podcast discussions you can send in feedback at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com or you can join our Facebook groups and page. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. And of course, we are on Twitter at DefendersCast, where we will be tweeting away about everything Jessica Jones. And, and what a, a season so far. We're here now on episode seven. Mm-hmm. And this is getting really, really good. I mean, it, there's tragedy here. There's um, absolute abuse. Um intimidation you name it um this show is going to deep and pretty dark places uh, of the mind uh, and of the body as well yeah absolutely uh before we get on to this episode we were having a bit of a chat before we started podcasting about one of our other shows that we're covering which is agent carter and the announcement that agent carter season two is coming back at the start of January next year. It's been announced that the show returns in the US in January, and an announcement has been made that the show is also returning to Fox UK uh, in January as well. So very, very close together. Yeah, which is uh, unlike last time, where there was a significant, like, it was almost six-month break between right. the the release of those episodes, um, well, of the season, I should say. Yeah, um, but what makes it particularly weird is that in the US they announced originally that the release date was going to be the 5th, of January, and because of that, Fox UK came out very quickly afterwards and said they were going to release episode one of season two of uh, Agent Carter on the twelfth of January uh, this week. Um, as we record, 
The US has announced that they're going to move it to uh, January 19th because of a presidential address from Barack Obama, um, which means possibly, we're not sure now. Just maybe. Right now. The stars have aligned. Right, that the UK might be getting Asian Carter a week earlier than the US, which would be very strange for a show made in the US, even though it features a lot of British characters. In the immortal words of Nelson. Ha <laughs> ha! The thing is, though, you know, at the moment the MCU films are being released in Europe uh, before uh, they're coming out in, in in the US. Yeah, usually about a week because of like, things like Winter Soldier came out a week early, Avengers: Age of Ultron came out a week early, um, Star Wars we get it a couple of days early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe the force be with you. But for some shows in certain other territories, maybe in, whether it's in Asia or even, say, like Italy with Gotham, uh, some of those release dates can also be ahead of the US mm. um, or, like, spot on at the same day. So, I mean, it's not unusual for that to happen, mm-hmm. um, but it's rare. I think. Absolutely, but I suppose the big reason why we're bringing it up is because obviously we will be covering Agent Carter Season 2 as it comes out uh, each week uh, coming in January as we know but we are halfway through our, our coverage of Jessica Jones so right now we are releasing our episodes every Tuesday. We're just trying to work out exactly how we're going to do it but we're basically looking uh, to be as close to finishing Jessica Jones as we, uh, as we start Agent Carter as we possibly can be so we may be releasing a few episodes uh, in a bit closer proximity, like the way we did at the, at the beginning of Jessica Jones, um, just to make sure that we're clear from Jessica Jones before we go into Agent Carter. Yeah, basically, if the Irish and UK release date stays 12th of January, we will be giving you some Christmas presents uh, over the Christmas week, uh, but also the week between Christmas and New Year, we'll look to try and release two episodes of our Jessica Jones coverage in those two festive weeks as a as a little present. And um, if it does get pushed back um, and to maybe the 26th of January, then obviously... We, we don't want to give you any Christmas presents, yes. We, yeah, we won't be giving you any Christmas presents. And in the spirit of uh, the Christmas tale, um, yes, we will be hoarding the coal and the podcasts until, um, and we'll still release them on the Tuesday every week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's our little conundrum at the moment. If you have any thoughts on that and how you want us to release our episodes, obviously, or any thoughts on how you want to listen to them, Pop us an email at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. But as usual, I think it's time to get into this episode of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts, Episode 7. Um, John, as usual, will give us our synopsis. This episode was directed by Simon Kellen-Jones, who's actually directing Episode 8 as well. So um, another uh, another way of doing this in Jessica Jones, where they have a director taking two episodes at a time back-to-back. I think I mentioned that quite early on in the season, but it seems that they've been given them in batches, which is quite interesting. This episode was written by Mika Schraft, who wrote Episode 2 of Jessica Jones, and also by Jenna Reback, so a dual, uh, a dual writers uh, taking top billing on this episode, I suppose. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what these two writers gave us this episode? Absolutely. Jessica slumps further into heavy drinking after her break from Luke Cage and begins to lose the plot as she takes up Hogarth's increasingly malicious and violent plan to extract the divorce from her ex-partner, Wendy Ross Hogarth. As things break down for Jessica, further tragedy calls at Alias Investigation's front door as an innocent bystander becomes unexpectedly embroiled in the complex and dangerous life of Jessica Jones and Kilgrave. 
As she formulates an extreme plan to combat Kilgrave and draw him out, it requires all of her friends' unwanted help to prevent Jessica from carrying out this dangerous plan to outwit Kilgrave. As events crescendo between Jessica and Kilgrave, the extent of his grand design becomes clear as he truly infiltrates her childhood memories. And on a final note, long live banana bread. <laughs> nice. Yes, a little touch to Reuben there, um, given that, um, yes, I'm sure, spoilers alert, you know, from here on in, it will be spoiler-filled. <laughs> but, it already has been. Um, you know, it is... Just a little nod there to uh, the life passing of Ruben, a big point and presumably going to be someone's point, one of our five points that we will run through um, as we discuss this episode of Jessica Jones. Yeah, so I will take this as my first point, I know, (laughs) and that is basically Ruben's death. Like, pretty shocking, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, um, he expressed his true feelings towards Jessica, the reason why he's coming down the corridor, bringing the banana bread, trying to help uh, Jessica like he did with Malcolm in in the lift, maybe trying to escape from his sister's kind of um, overbearing nature. And um, he comes down to give some more banana bread. And actually, I'm going to roll two points of mine into one here because the other thing which I was really wanting to see is Kilgrave in her apartment. Mm. So like one of my other points is that, you know, Kilgrave at Jessica's, uh, at Alias Investigations. And unfortunately, you have the tragic meeting of Reuben and Kilgrave at her front door, where he ultimately says that he loves her, and that's why he comes down here, gives her banana bread and so on. And you know immediately that Kilgrave is going to go rival of, to some, of, of some degree... Um, and you kind of feel it's not going to end well, and it doesn't. He's forced to kill himself and is there lying uh, bloodstained on um, Jessica's bed. I mean, it's really gory, really tragic, really brutal for, for Ruben. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say, this is the first time I wanted to turn off an episode of Jessica Jones while I was watching it. Only, not because I didn't like it, but because when Ruben says, well, I'm coming down to give her banana bread because I love her, the minute he said it, I was wondering what Kilgrave was going to do to him and didn't want to watch it. Um, I was, I'm kind of happy that we didn't see it happen. Kind of happy that we didn't see Kilgrave actually tell Reuben to slit his own throat with a bread knife, uh, which is essentially what he has him do. Um, we've seen some gruesome things in these episodes of Jessica Jones. We've seen Kilgrave do some very gruesome things and, and treat people with disdain. But knowing that there's somebody out there that actually proclaims his love for Jessica... I knew this was going to end badly uh, from that point onwards. An absolutely brutal death of uh, a character I really liked. But my point about it, for, for, for me, the quick point I had on it was, once again, one of our theories has been blown out of the water. Uh, I thought that Ruben was already under Kilgrave's control, possibly. He seems to arrive at the door with banana bread every single time. Uh, Jessica is saying anything. He gets there very quickly. Um Totally wrong. That was obviously in the editing. So, uh, so sorry about that. And unfortunately, we've lost another uh, another major character. 
There's another thing that we got wrong as well, which was we did wonder whether Reuben and Malcolm's character had been switched mm. to some degree and that Reuben would be um, kind of an assistant or a helper to Jessica in some of the investigations. Um, but it could actually be now that it is Malcolm that will do that, now that he's getting better from from the heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. Possibly. I, I actually had a different view on this. I wanted very much a Wilson Fisk head in the door type shot. I wanted not to see it but to see it at the same time. Right, right. In very much you could have the camera have panned and just looked consistently on David Tennant as he said it but in the background you hear the gurgling and it would have been more in line to date what we've seen Mm -hmm. in the show. Um, Especially a show that they typically don't shy away from violence or uh, kind of anything bad. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, is this possibly an edit? Oh, okay. So for whatever reason, it didn't. It was too long. It was. It's on the cutting floor somewhere. Maybe. maybe because yeah. it would make more sense. Because this is a lot darker. Violence-wise, Daredevil was worse. Mm-hmm. Violence-wise. So they're not worried about the violence. Yeah. Psychologically, of hearing someone die mm-hmm. probably not the worst thing we've seen so far in the seven episodes of the show yeah so i i i'm i, I don't understand why they didn't i know that the, the the argument for whatever it is it would be worse in your head mm-hmm. so yes there could be that yeah but i don't know i just i kind of went ah there was a bit of a cop out in my in my book right. now great great scene all together mm-hmm. just a bit kind of i was a bit oh Okay, so you <laughs> killed him. That's sad, but I would have like to, the fulfillment of seeing him die probably would have been better to close off that character. Right, right. Now it does feel like he was ripped away from us. A bit yeah, as yeah. A character, it yeah. does definitely, yeah. um, and I think that's what makes it sadder for me. Actually, mm. um, it felt like he was just getting some traction with her. You know, every time you saw him, he was doing something really helpful or nice um, because he had these feelings and he just couldn't articulate them necessarily. Um, You know, and she, Jessica kind of goes along with it to an extent. I mean, she's never necessarily going to um, go with Ruben. Well, um, we never we, know. Well, and we, we'll never know now. We will. Well, she, she seemed, well, she seemed pretty taken with Luke, to be honest. Not yeah. anymore. But not anymore. So, I mean... She did get into bed with Ruben in this episode. <laughs> well, she did indeed. <laughs> but unfortunately, maybe not the kind of getting into bed that uh, Ruben would have hoped for. No, probably not. But that was a pretty great reaction scene um, with Jessica as she... Uh, is coming home, recovering from her hangover and rolls over in the blood of the dead body of Reuben and jumps out of bed, covers the wall in, in his blood. Um, a really affecting scene for me. I didn't. I, I, I knew something bad was going to happen. Didn't really expect that his body would be left in her bed um, as well. Pretty pretty gruesome scene. Yeah, I, I, the, the trope of oh, the horse head in the bed, uh-huh. like I didn't think they'd go for it. And as soon as I saw it, I went, uh, again, I was like, kind of been done. Eh. But no, but then. <laughs> wow, you're so disaffected. I am. Uh, today I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, as a whole, the scene worked. And I, I mm-hmm. think the only reason the scene worked is down to the acting by Kristen. Yeah. Like, she pulls off the the 
the, as you said, the hangover, like, oh, I'm just going to throw my shoes, blah, 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 yeah. to the, she's she looks like she's nearly in tears, and then she kind of tries to pull herself back and then just lets it go. Yeah. And I was like, that's what made the scene. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, it propels everything forward then in the episode because it's kind of, this is almost the, the her that breaks the camel's back yeah. because she's like, I can't allow anyone else to to be hurt or mind controlled um, by Kilgrave because they're close to me or that he wants to hurt me or get at me. Uh, and like, I mean, she's going off the rails anyway up to this you know she's drinking heavily i mean she's going with hogarth's plan uh you know following um hogarth's ex and all this kind of stuff so like it really does propel her actions forward mm. from when yeah that happens and like I, yeah i really liked it and i, I love the fact that just because as well with uh the sort of second point rolled into this the fact that Kilgrave was in her pad. I really actually oh, wanted absolutely. to see that because it's that kind of physical um, breaking. Yeah. You know, he's broken into her mind before and this is now into her apartment. I, I kind of really like that. I, I, I like that sort of juxtaposition with what he does um, anyway to everybody that he he needs to where he controls them. And this is him being so in control that he kind of wanders into um, her apartment. And I, and in my notes, it's kind of, I have, you know, Kilgrave at Jessica's. And then I also say Kilgrave at Jessica's in that we do see this property that he's bought um, that we saw him buying in the last episode um, is her childhood home. Mm. Um, and that, you know, he's infiltrating her childhood in the present day yeah. as well. Like it's really... Um, you know that's right at the end where she's arriving at this house. So it's it's just creep central for Kilgrave, and it's but it's so it's so well done. I really enjoyed it, and I think just how that then kicked off with the meeting of Reuben at the door. Those two things for me really, I, I thought it was a really good start to this episode for me. Absolutely, yeah. I was kind of questioning where uh, Kilgrave was right at the start because he's looking through photographs of Hope, um, of her at the ones that Jessica had taken a couple of episodes ago. Um, but essentially, I was kind of thinking, is he in his own place? Is this his own home where he's got all the stuff that he had uh, taken from with Hope, essentially? Uh, and then I thought, oh, maybe it's actually in Jessica's uh, the house that he just bought. Is there stuff that he's found there that uh, that? is left behind by Jessica. You don't know how long it is since she's moved out of there, essentially, at the beginning of the episode. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of intrigued as to where he was and then realising that, yes, he actually obviously would know where Jessica's office is. She advertises alias investigations, surely, till she gets business. So, of course, he's going to know where she is. And the fact that he has the audacity, really, to walk in to her premises and just go through all of her stuff... Yeah, he he'll, he's just willing to do anything, really, isn't Kilgrave? He's just kind of you can't. Really, there's no boundaries with the man at all. No, absolutely. So, so Derek, what's your first point? Yeah, my first point, you kind of mentioned there a little bit. It's actually about Jessica's threat on Hogarth's wife. Um, my God, brutal version of Jessica Jones here, uh, using her powers against another woman who's not got any superpowers. She's done nothing wrong here, other than Hogarth wants to divorce her. But Hogarth's really using Jessica to. This effectively threatened this woman's life. Um, she threatens to basically pick her up and throw her under a train if she doesn't sign the divorce papers. Like, that's pretty brutal, isn't 
it's, um, it's really a a dangerous rabbit hole that Hogarth is going down. Like, like she she wants Jessica to scur her ex. Yeah, and I mean it, it's proper intimidation, and Jessica's going along with with this, and certainly she's so messed up at the moment with what happened between her and Luke Cage. Certainly, um, at this point, when we see her in the the uh, subway station, yeah, uh, she's not come across Ruben's body. But I mean, obviously, then you know that's sending her off in total meltdown uh, in relation to seeing Ruben dead. But um, yeah, it's funny because that scenes from the trailer as well, and I was wondering, oh, who's she saving? Yeah. But it's actually she's saving someone that she's put in that position and that's um yeah she's kind of slightly losing the plot there. absolutely and the fact that she drops wendy by accident underneath the train she essentially says she's holding her up and then drops her and goes i didn't mean to do that um you know that's pretty that's pretty weird for a character using those powers to actually brutally throw this woman under a train then have to go and save her but there's a great moment to talk about the acting of christian ritter there is a great moment as she stands waiting for the oncoming train where you can see everything cross her face where she's essentially going, would it really matter if this train ran me over and knocked me out now? Killed me now, obviously. But would it really matter? Would anybody care about me? Everybody she loves is gone and is ignoring her. Even Trish is ignoring her phone calls, who's her best friend and her sister. Um, Luke Cage has, has thrown her out. Um, and now she's being told by Helgarth, who seems to be her only other kind of friend, to go down and track down her, her wife and... And threatened to kill her. She's completely alone here. And it, it just crosses Christian Ritter's face as the character of Jessica as to whether she's going to just get knocked down by a train or not. Would it matter to anybody? Yeah, I'll add on to that. I, I got the impression she was going, if the train hit me, would I die? Okay. Yeah. Because kind of like, mm-hmm. you can see when she does do that. And it was a very good split second at the end, jump away. Mm-hmm. And then as the, 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 the actual cinematography, as... The train is speeding by. Mm-hmm. You see that she's there. She's there. She's there. She, she's gone. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's good. Absolutely. It was a nice. It was a nice piece, but then it was the. the I hate using the trope. The, the haunted look in the eyes mm-hmm. as you were looking at Jessica, and that's peace. You, you can see that you know, she knows she's made a mistake. Absolutely. If you want to call it that. And even just the meeting of the eyes between her and Wendy on either side of the platforms, uh, as essentially. Jessica's realizing what she's done, gone way too far here, and Wendy is staring at her like she's a monster. Um, essentially, it's a really, really good scene, really well directed. Yeah. But the fallout from this obviously gets even worse, mm-hmm. and that's I think one of the best parts. Yeah, that's like what I was thinking as well, and um, just that she's either there thinking, you know, should I kill myself? Would it even matter? Or let's see what happens if this train hits me, like. That's before she knows about Ruben. And mm-hmm. so things just get worse. And actually, to the point where she has to come up with something extreme and it, in terms of actually getting herself put into a you know, maximum security prison to try and draw uh, Kilgrave out and to capture him and get him arrested or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I also do quite like Wendy's um, sort of taking it to Hogarth here. I love her Absolutely. appearance in yeah. the office where essentially she just goes, I've got all your emails. I can't remember, you know, previous emails and 
She's bribed. She says, "Look, if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to bribe you." What was it? Two thirds of all your stuff? Yeah, and I, the, I'd, I'd like that. She's yeah. going hardball. Yeah, absolutely. Not even she said, if you try that again, or if you do anything, these are going straight to the uh, Bar Association of America. Yeah, she effectively says that she has emails that show that Hogarth bribes jury members. So once again, we're finding even more deeper elements about about Hogarth and how pretty much evil this character is. She's not just a great lawyer. She's also paying off jurors to go her way. That's very different, isn't it? Okay, go with me on this. <laughs> Heroes for Hire. Mm-hmm. The Jerry in the comics is influential in, create, in the creation of Heroes for Hire. Jaren, yeah. Um, in this, she could be the same. So Jessica, Luke, Iron Fist, um, and the other, mm-hmm. Daredevil, come together on this because they are blackmailed by Jerry as an evil hero for hire to do no good. So Jerry's actually our big bad. Wow, that's an interesting thought. And then <laughs> they, they stay together and they flip on her and go, we'll be better than that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, Very just thinking because we all, we're all thinking that Jerry will be made good. Yes, mm-hmm. we f- we feel that she's got a redemption yeah. arc in her because of the name and because we know that there is a Jerry Hogarth, a male character, who ultimately is a trusted um, CEO of Danny Rands yeah. and but, Rand Corp. So, A, two pieces that are doing the rounds and in my head. She may not be that Jerry. She could have a brother Jerry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is the CEO. or And also... There may be no redemption arc. Yeah. This may be they are just showing her for the cold, calculating, evil person that she is, and they're just literally now trying to throw it down our throats because they're like, "Oh, we like the name Jerry, we like the character, but we're going to completely flip it on the side. So we're going to make it a woman. Uh, we're going to make her a lesbian. Uh, oh, by the way, she's a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Sorry, I like it. this back is back to your point. <laughs> but this is going to be really good to see how that plays out now. Like. It really will be. I can't wait for that. So and thank you, Chris, for that. I am going to like watch Jerry like a hawk now. Uh, but with the fetus part as well. Yeah. So this evening she plays in further because she wants to build an army of enforcers like she has with Jessica. So when uh, like Wendy said, don't send your monster after me. Mm-hmm. Like that is possibly what Jerry's trying to do. Like a, a team of enforcers of yeah. Jessica's. And remember her reaction to Kilgrave when she finds out about his power is... He would be great working for us, wouldn't he? Yeah, you know, which has obviously had Jessica, Jessica's backup completely. Yeah, yeah, she's so dubious, and now then that will be really good to see. Will she just be the evil, an evil, evil, evil bitch with no redemption? Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. One other thing about that scene, though, with with Wendy, that I will say. I really wanted to tell Pam to stay out of their business for once. <laughs> Why is Pam walking directly into the room as the ex-wife? Every time, it seems, <laughs> that the ex-wife is around, she just walks in to Hogarth to stand beside her. I know that's the point of the character, is that she doesn't really trust Hogarth to to not make up with her ex-wife. But sometimes it feels like this is a private matter between those two, and you need to stick out of it. Uh, you're just you're just Hogarth's bit on, bit on the side, really. But... If it's if Hogarth is the evil character that we think we now think she is, yeah. I don't really care. Uh, no, but I, I think that's just she that that character is put in as you said just for the triangle of the love triangle, if you want to call it that. Mm. 
like Wendy was the heart and soul of the relationship. Hogarth is the success of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, you're you're getting a bit too old, so we're going to judge the service and, and go for Pam, which is yeah. a younger model, but yeah. a secretary versus a doctor. Yeah, but a doctor works all the time. Yeah. The secretary's right beside you, so it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that to my secretary. <laughs> Nice. But one of the things about Pam, she does say that she knew about Jerry bribing jurors. Is she lying to defuse the situation with Wendy? Is she saying, is she trying to tell Wendy that she knows more about Hogarth than Wendy thinks she does? That she's not just the bit on the side? Is she trying to say all that to her? Or did she actually know all about these bribes? I don't think she did. There seemed to be a reaction on her face that said to me, she didn't know about these, but she's trying to pretend like she did. Definitely. That's that's how I read into that scene and her reaction. There was that kind of telling bit of hesitation. And then she says, oh, yeah, I knew all about this. Um, it's to protect how she's viewed by Wendy, I think, mm. um, totally. That, as you say, it's that I know a lot about uh, Hogarth just as much as you do. She tells me everything when, in fact, she doesn't even down to the restaurant that she was taking Pam to yeah. where it was where she took Wendy to propose to her. You know, she keeps things buried. She keeps things away and locked away and to herself. And uh, yeah, definitely she is one to watch. And I can't wait to see how Carrie Ann Moss's character of, of Hogarth plays out because it's just getting more fascinating as the episodes roll by. Definitely. Absolutely. Chris, what's your first point? So one for me was just a nice... uh, Now, I don't know if this kind of falls under Easter egg, but maybe more of a nod. Um, So in the Alias comics, Mm -hmm. um, Jessica has a shrinking boyfriend for a while. She certainly does. And uh, there is quite an amazing scene where she awakes to find him while she's in bed with him, uh, covered in ants. Mm-hmm. It is no none other than Mr. Lang, Scott Lang, the Ant-Man. She actually is um, in a relationship with Scott Lang. It reminded me of that scene from the comic books, in that it was very kind of that, that, that well, it's the only other thing I can think of where someone, someone wakes up with a body in a bed, or mm. there ever was a body in a bed. So I just thought it was a nice nod. Yeah, it, it was probably more of a, just a nice nod back to Bendis. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a nice nod. It is essentially that uh, Kilgrave has put the idea in his head that he is that he is dead and is lying uh, is lying staring at the ceiling. He's not dead at all. It's just an idea that Kilgrave has put in his head. So yeah, uh, yeah good little good little catch there, Chris. Um, I've also got another little catch. Oh, go on for my next point. Did you recognise one of the police officers in the police station? The officer that comes in to uh, release Jessica from from the police. Daredevil? Yes, it is. Officer uh. Mahoney from Daredevil. That's the reason why I remembered it, because it's Mahoney uh, from, from Daredevil. The same same desk officer uh, that, that we saw twice, I think, during the, uh, during the season of Daredevil. Uh, he is another connection between Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And all the way throughout the episode, probably the reason why I noticed him all the way throughout the episode, Jessica continually repeats, I think she says it about four times, I need a defense lawyer. I need an attorney. I need someone to take to to take care of me and get it get my defense up. So I, they send me to maximum security prison. I thought this was going to be our episode with Daredevil's appearance <laughs> with Matt Murdock coming in and fluffing the case to send her to prison. Uh, no, no crossover, unfortunately. But it is Officer Mahoney is one of the officers in the uh, in the police precinct. 
Okay, I'm going to bring in one of my points on that because you brought police, pol- the police precinct in. Okay, go, Chris. Um, this might also be one of my points as well. Oh, no. Oh, okay. In the background on the wall in the police station, there is none other than uh, Ben Ulrich's uh, newspaper clipping. So his front cover from the actual episodes that we see back in Daredevil on the show where he showed his the incident and then there's a death sitting up there on the shop. Very good. So it was a nice little link to our dead reporter. Yeah. So maybe that was the one. Spoilers if you haven't watched Daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's been a year, people. Come on, I'm sorry. We can't help you. (laughs) There there is a such a thing as a fair degree of spoiler like time gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, John. Yeah, I well, I just had a general... You're going to take the other big one. Yeah, I just had the general point. The big... Police precinct, the the frozen officers, the guns pointed at one another. Oh yeah, um, that was just amazing. Obviously in the trailer, but actually what I found even more amazing was the conversation that Kilgrave and oh, Jessica yeah. have. I mean, this is like, I think my trousers were blown off by <laughs> by this. Quite frankly, it was like being in a a, a, a gale force 10 or something like i thought this was really incredible like he is basically saying to her i like you because you make me feel this yearning because i can have whatever i want but i wasn't able to have you you were able to sort of break my spell mm-hmm. and that gave me this whole new feeling this whole new sensation which was i yearned for you um and it's almost like he's so numb with his power that this little thing of essentially being rejected was so new that he, that's why he's infatuated with, with Jessica. Um, and I just love that. You know, he talks about them complimenting one another that, you know, she can resist him. And yeah. that for him is like just the best thing in the world. I love this conversation that they they have um in in the precinct. You know, he goes until you he could have had everything and anything he wanted until she walked away. And mm-hmm. it's like you really get a personal insight into Kilgrave. He actually wants to get her by her giving herself up yeah. freely to him. Like uh, she says you have me and he goes I don't have you yet. I want you to realize that you want me. Uh, you know, we complete one another. You are my equal, my counterpoint. Like, that is really great stuff. I love that because she suddenly realized this, this realization on Jessica's face that it's like, it's even slightly more warped than what she first thought. Absolutely. And that's a really good scene, I think. And yeah. then you've got all the cool stuff with the, the officers there pointing their guns at one another. Um, and then obviously, in 10 seconds, you'll realise this was a great joke. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was good. really weird it to wasn't. see them all laugh. I was like, that's just so unsettling. Again, Again, that was my unsettling moment of the, this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one of the things about about the Kilgrave and Jessica discussion, again, yes, absolutely brilliant. Um, but it's it's just the turn when Jessica asks him the question, why have you been punishing me so much? And he says, I'm not punishing you. I'm showing you that I'm the right person for you because nobody else is right for you. It's just a horrible moment for Jessica. She thinks that he has been 
essentially killing everybody around her, anybody that gets close to her. And that's not what, what he's trying to do. He's trying to show her his power, trying to show her how much they're suited to each other. He's crazy. He's absolutely insane. Jessica realizes this and he, he doesn't seem to understand that because he had control of her for six months, wasn't it? Um, cause he had that control over her for six months. She will never ever go anywhere near him. She will never choose to be at his side. Um, yeah, fascinating scene. Really well played yeah. as well. I really, one of my favorite scenes so far, um, of, of the series without a shadow of a doubt. Um, like, it had me wanting to see this from the trailer, and when it arrived, not only was it just a great moment of tension or in, in the police precinct, but it was also just the conversation that they had. It just really developed their relationship, um, you know, off kilter, crazy, um, unbalanced relationship that Jessica just doesn't want in just a really great way. It just kind of elevated the craziness of Kilgrave. I really liked it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Chris, what's your next point? Um, so I suppose my point in uh, this one comes from the, as Jessica's wrapping up her, her life, if you want to call it that. Mm. And it was the visit to Patsy's mother. Yes. Patricia's mother. Um, in the comics, she is this overbearing kind of woman who just got her, financial gain out of her daughter Mm -hmm. who's an actress and all that this underpins a hell of a lot worse yes kind of it gives you it does she never comes out directly says there was abuse and bruising and fighting and punches there's just enough there that hints to it and i thought again this is another hard topic that is well dealt by this with the show in that it's not just a man who is who physically abuses mm-hmm. or mentally abuses. It, there's also women out there who do this. And I think that, again, there is a... This show handles that in a way that this mother is... has traumatised and p- potentially abused her daughter Absolutely. for financial gain and to feel powerful. And then Jessica comes in and like, that's it. You're done. You're no more. I, you, I am your... Restraining order? Mm-hmm. No, imagine. Well, I think it's a great line. It was like, imagine me as your restraining order, uh, more than fifty feet, and I'll, I'll know. Yeah, it wasn't sure. Did she? Does she know about Jessica's powers? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I definitely get the feeling that that Dorothy is aware of Jessica's powers. That she understands how strong she is. She calls her a freak. I think. Yes. Sorry. She? Yes. So she's aware, uh, and then tells her, "You're the worst decision I ever made was to was to to take you into my home." And Jessica calls her out and immediately and goes, "Thanks, mom." You know, she was treated as, or she always was treated as Dorothy's daughter, just like Trish was. And essentially, this is the mother saying to her. Yeah, but the worst decision I ever made was taking you in. Jessica's known this by the sounds of this conversation. Jessica has been fully aware that she was taken in as part of the story of Patsy Walker, as part of the story of Trish Walker being this famous actress who took in strays and waifs. Uh, But it seems like it didn't work out the way that Dorothy wanted it to work out. And Jessica and Trish have separated themselves from her completely. Really interesting. And sorry, there was physical abuse. I just remembered the scarf scene. Yes. On the neck. Is your mother back was, is, the, was the question. Well, no, Jessica actually, even... It, it? Remember that she gets into the car? Yes, of course. Uh, in, this and episode well. the, in this episode, she gets in the car and then it's bruising. That's the scarf. That's that's what links back to, is your mother back? Because she's wearing the scarf. And, yes. 
Yeah. Ah. Okay. Click, 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 click. <laughs> Did you also know who the actress is that plays uh, plays Dorothy? No. No. This is Rebecca De Mornay. Very famous actress from The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, from <gasps> ah, Risky Business. Okay. Ah. Yeah, I didn't recognise her. Um, I had to had to look it up after the fact. She is a fantastic actress. I just never, never con- connected the dots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is about Trish and uh, Officer Simpson, so it connects quite well into uh, into that discussion there. Uh, so they're still they're still going at it <laughs> full force, really. <laughs> absolutely. Wow. Um, but they've also got a pretty messed up relationship. There's a couple of really interesting things in their conversation that I wanted to pull out and just discuss a little bit. Um, I love that, you know, Trish obviously is ignoring the phone calls from Jessica. She's got her own plan of how she's going to capture Kilgrave. Doesn't want to answer the phone to Jessica until she has the plan in place and then can tell Jessica about it. Um, Simpson essentially says, uh, says to her, don't blame yourself for this. It's Jessica's fault. So number one there. Officer Simpson is immediately blaming Jessica for Kilgrave getting away in episode five. Um, that's kind of fascinating. He really has no sympathy at all for Jessica. He really does blame her because she's the one with superpowers and the leader of their little band. So therefore, it's her fault that Kilgrave got yeah. away. He takes no responsibility for it. He takes no responsibility for Trish uh, being knocked out instantly when she was attacked. It's all Jessica's fault because uh, she had a plan, and she could have enacted it at the time. She could have shot, could have allowed him to show, shoot Kilgrave in the head, and then Kilgrave would never have been away. It's all her fault. That's an interesting little twist to this character of, uh, of Simpson, I thought. Yeah, and also the one thing I was kind of intrigued um, about, because I still have a slight niggling doubt over Simpson, um, was the fact that he's scoping out Kilgrave at uh, the house where he's, you know, redecorating in a fairly creepy way. Uh, like, I think you see some guy coming in with a Mickey Mouse statue. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's scoping out that... Um, yeah, product placement. Um, <laughs> They're connected to Disney. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, he's scoping out the, the house, and the phone's ringing, and he's ignoring Trisha's call mm-hmm. as well. Yes. And I, I still am wondering, why is he scoping out the house? Is he watching Kilgrave, or is he watching Kilgrave? Is there like a deeper like association between him and Kilgrave? I still think with the the army, I, I, um, is he the owner of the security firm? What's going on here? Like, because he doesn't seem to be a police officer anymore. He definitely doesn't seem to be able to work for you. No, exactly. <laughs> so, like, um, I've still got some niggling doubts over Simpson. And I suppose one thing that we maybe you know haven't touched on yet about Will Simpson's character is you know. He was a police officer or is a police officer. Um, he was in the army. Um, and it's highly possible, and it's certainly out there at the moment on, on the interweb, is that he's Nuke. Yeah, he's the character of Nuke, yeah, who was, who was a, a Vietnam survivor, former war veteran, came back, joined the New York police force. So very similar type of character. But I know in an interview with Will Traval, who plays the character of Will Simpson, uh, he did describe... Uh, all he said about the character he was playing was that he's different from the comic books. You couldn't empathize, empathize with that character in the comic books because he is essentially crazy. Um, that's pretty much what all he said, all he would say about the character. So a lot of speculation out there that this is Nuke from the comic books, who is a daredevil um, villain, essentially. Yeah, and the, the reason a lot of people didn't make this connection initially was that Nuke's name in the comic books is Frank Simpson. Yes. And obviously this is Will. Simpson. Isn't that, isn't that interesting, though? Because I think that's an IMDb thing. 
the Will Simpson part of it. The actor's called Will Travel. Wonderful name. Um, but I don't think we've actually heard his first name since the beginning of the season. We've always heard him called Officer Simpson or just Simpson by people. So I think it's quite interesting that we actually haven't heard his first name. Oh. On the show, yeah. I didn't, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I think... I think this will be an interesting one. Um, I know we had initially said he was somewhat, we did, I think it was yourself there, you called him a proto-Punisher yes, type yeah. guy in this, in when we were discussing him before. Um, Nuke is this, he's a crazier version of Punisher. Mm. He was created for that. He was somewhat um, given some superhero, uh, super serum. He, but he's completely has a screw loose. Yeah. He's so patriotic. I don't know. I don't know if I'd like to see this character become Nuke. Mm -hmm. In that Nuke is the is was that over the top nineties eighties nineties kind of arc age of comics where it was guns a blazing. Yeah. Everyone had their shirts off uh, for no reason in particular. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and it was just it was kind of. There was no re rhyme or reason behind who they were, and I, I think that, but I think that alludes as well to his interview that he did at uh, New York Comic Con, which is ultimately that you couldn't empathise with that. Whereas here, that they're laying a groundwork maybe where you can empathise with it, because like one of the things I thought was that you know, was saying that he is a um, he is a, a bad guy to Daredevil. Well, from the sensory deprivation chamber, um, you know. He was speaking to Jessica Jones saying, you're not a hero. You don't know what heroes are. There is a tension there between how he sees um, these superheroes. And if that links in with Civil War, if that link, you know, there is that element then yeah. as well that he doesn't actually, he might be more like a General Ross. He, like he doesn't agree with them um, to an extent. Yeah. Or he thinks they are going down the wrong path by serving their own interests or other interests and not maybe the people's interests or the government's interests or, or yeah. whatever it might be. And so, even just to take his his concept of what he's going to do to Kilgrave, if he just wants to pull a bullet in his head, that'll shut him up pretty quickly. That'll be the end of it. Uh, was my other point about the conversation between him and Trish, where Trish explains why she wants to keep Kilgrave alive, which is essentially because he deserves to suffer. If you kill him, if you put a bullet in his head, he'll never know that he did anything wrong. He'll just be dead. Whereas she wants Kilgrave to live alone, knowing he's despised until he dies, essentially. And that's it. That's all she wants from him. But uh, Question. Could he be one of the bads in Daredevil Season 2? Absolutely. So he he now becomes Judge, Jury, Executioner. So we have John Bernthal playing another Judge, Jury, Executioner in Daredevil Season 2. Mm -hmm. So could this be the Daredevil's going after Punisher, but then also Nuke's going after Punisher, and then Punisher kills Nuke, and or beats up Nuke, and then blah, blah, blah. That, that, he was always this more, he was the crazy, Nuke character was the crazy in-between Captain America and Punisher. Right, right. That's what he was kind of set up as. He yeah. had the, the patriotic face paint on, tattoo, and then the shirt off, and mm. goes guns a blazing. Yeah, and, and that kind of marries in nicely with what Trish says to him, which she says, you know, I'm looking for justice, you're looking for vengeance. And, like, yeah. that might be his screw loose, ultimately, that he's a vengeful person, yeah. and that, um, you know, maybe if he has been experimented on to some extent, you know, things like, you, know, you hear, like, with Gulf War Syndrome, all these different jabs or whatever, that maybe that has just 
crystallized um, his vengeful side, mm-hmm. and, that, and ultimately he's just a hateful, vengeful character. Ultimately, against things that he just doesn't like, agree with, or wants to get rid of, like Kilgrave. Okay, go with me. Okay, I don't know if this is a very quick Jones way. What if I'm using that one? I'm keeping Jones way. So we know that Hogarth is taking the fetus. Mm-hmm. We know that she could be the villain. Yeah. Going forward, what if she's trying to create a super soldier with power or, or people with powers? Mm-hmm. So we've yet we know also that uh, Simpson does not have anything in the as of this moment. Yes. Yeah. What if they meet? So I want to be able to take my vengeance out on Kilgraves and these superpowered freaks. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hogarth. I know how to do that. Yeah. Hogar starts giving pills and cause or pills or injections or yeah, whatever. So she could be giving some fish pills from uh, yeah. from Agents of Shield. Too. Yeah, some fish <laughs> pills. Turning him into an inhuman. Um, <laughs> that could be how he at least becomes somewhat more powered. Because mm. I don't think they're going to do it as a, a daredevil or a punisher that he's just kind of slightly more enhanced. Right. Like he or he's just he's he's a Batman. I don't think they'll keep him as Batman. They're going to need to make give. Marvel, the characters we have now are too, too powered. Right. So, right. in order to keep him on level with the Luke Cages and the Jessica Joneses, mm-hmm. they need to give him some kind of powers. Keeping up with the Jessica Joneses. Uh, <laughs> can we call the next episode? <laughs> um, uh, and then, so yeah, t- t- in order to power him up, mm. we know Hogarth was a bit weird. Or doing weird things anyway. Will, will they work together by the end of the season? That's an interesting concept, definitely. Yeah. We don't know yet. We've only had a couple more episodes to do to find out. It's, it's going to be fascinating yeah. to find out how it all progresses, definitely. Like, I'm, again, Hogarth and, and Simpson, I'm really intrigued with their characters. They they feel like they've got so much more to, to be exposed and to give in relation to their roles in this. Yeah. That I, I, I can't wait to see how, how that plays out. Definitely. And there's something about, about Simpson's reaction in this episode where he essentially, as you say, isn't answering Trisha's phone calls. He's sitting outside Kilgrave's, uh, Kilgrave's new house, uh, watching him all the time. Uh, he specifically says he wants to shoot Kilgrave in the head, essentially. There's something about that that I'm wondering if that opportunity isn't given to him, if he isn't the one to put Kilgrave out of uh, out of business, essentially. Um, will that be a, another reaction from him as a character? Will he have a huge reaction to it being taken away, his vengeance being taken away from him? Um, I'm wondering about that as well. But, John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, and mine's basically uh, Ruben's sister, Robin. I actually, it was great to see her back. Yeah. Um, like, she's she's not really been on screen since episode one. Episode one, episode two, like, early on. Um, and it was really good to see her back. And, and there were two conversations that she had with one with Mal and one with Jessica looking for her brother. And both of them knowing that he was dead yeah. and, and murdered. And actually, I, I found... Um, these conversations just really good you know between Malcolm and Robin you know she's really just giving out about Jessica um and I just the perspective that she views uh Jessica you know that she's a sexual harpy that uh, a sexual predator who's after her brother and you know he is in his twenties, I think. Mal Malcolm says He's back to her, you know, she's really kind of controlling, and and like she actually says to Malcolm, and I thought this was really interesting. You know, stop doing her bidding. 
Uh, and I thought that was really uh, Kilgrave-esque in a, in, a, in a certain way as well, that she sees Jessica as a manipulator of people yeah. um, by using her sexuality. Uh, I suppose kind of some, point, yeah. and I thought that was a really good little um, insight into to Robin uh, and how she views Jessica and why she is so kind of seemingly against her but then you have the meeting of Jessica and Robin I actually found it like pretty touching actually because I got the sense that you know Robin was trying to swallow her pride slightly she still isn't a fan of Jessica Jones at all but she knows that her brother has feelings for her and is kind of like ultimately saying to her, well, look after him. Yeah. Um, you know, it just it seems that she's really um, loves her brother, like as, as such. And she doesn't mind him seeing her, or maybe going out with her. It's almost like she's giving Jessica a blessing to say, you can see my brother. Yeah. And it's all within this tragic bubble of the fact that he's dead. Yeah, like absolutely. I, I just thought it was really like tragic of, of uh, Robin uh, yeah. in that scene. But I thought there were two great little conversations that involved it, and I'm really glad to see her back on the screen. Actually. Yeah, absolutely, because the last time we saw her, she really was just a comedy character, essentially just a bit of a a bit of a throwaway gag about you know about Jessica finding out the person upstairs is such a is such an irritating character. The person that's been annoying her so much is also really irritating. But having that kind of cloud hanging over it of the fact that we all know as the audience that Ruben's dead and she's just trying to be trying to care for him, trying to find him. Um, it seems like she never lets him out of her sight. Uh, and the one time she has, he's now dead. And everybody that she's speaking to, as you mentioned, Malcolm and Jessica both know that he's dead. So they're having this really awkward conversation with her where they can't tell her or won't tell her that her brother's already gone. Um, really, a really tough scene, uh, I think, for uh, uh, to to watch. Anyway, yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm curious about this now. I'm wondering if Marvel are kind of putting in a, the long haul for another film. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Welcome yeah. to Chris's theory. Yeah, another theory. Um, so I actually think that uh, Robin will become the Daredevil villain Typhoid Mary. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So, kind of, the Typhoid... She does look sickly, doesn't no, she? No, no, and the red hair, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that she is slightly crazy. Marginally crazy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, like, Daredevil, uh, the Daredevil villain Typhoid Mary is uh, aware that she is... She hates mentally ill people mm-hmm. because she knows she is mentally ill, which we learned from Robin in that. Yeah. The, the, those scenes. Um, she is also named Robin, uh, well, at least the current type of Mary, I believe, is named Robin. Interesting. Um, I didn't know that. She has some telepathic power, very minimal, but that would explain the almost crazy uh, use of Reuben and to Robin, the, the love, in that he was always, oh, she's, he would always run up to her and be there for her. Right. So, because she is controlling him somewhat. Interesting. Or was, was controlling him was somewhat. There, yeah. Um, but yeah, it could be just a t- like a, a small, a small little tease or setup because I'm, so you're assuming that Robin will find out, and then she'll hate Jessica, mm-hmm. and then go on to hate the Heroes for Hire, and then go on to hate Daredevil. That's a very, very interesting idea. I'm looking forward to seeing if that idea yeah. plays out. Definitely, I, maybe it will be. If she's dead next episode, like seems to happen every time we predict <laughs> no. something that's going to happen. Yeah, he's like, I swear this is good. Oh, okay, forget it. I'll be very disappointed there, Chris, if that happens. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Derek, what's your final point? My final point is about two gags that are in this episode. Uh, both involving Malcolm, one that works, one that doesn't. Uh, the first one is uh, Malcolm finding Jessica in the lift. Uh, that is a scene that's almost directly from episode two, I think it is, where Malcolm is in the lift, passed out, uh, is found by Reuben. Uh, this time it's Malcolm finding Jessica in the lift, completely passed out from the amount of alcohol that she's had. I think it's a good gag. I think it works really well and shows the progression of Malcolm. I mentioned it in the last episode. Malcolm's now turning around and becoming the controlling one in the relationship almost. Um, being the, the, I suppose, the the one that's kept himself together now as opposed to Jessica who's just spiralling out of control. Yeah, definitely. Like I had one of, uh, one of my notes was that it seemed in this episode that Malcolm and Jessica had swapped roles yeah, almost. Exactly. And even just the fact that uh, both Malcolm and Trisha are trying to protect her from herself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With with this plan to go into a maximum security prison. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For a crime she didn't commit. What's, what's the beauty of that film? Yeah, that like That's the A-team. Sounds very like the A-team, I thought that. Um, but the guy that didn't work for me is between Malcolm and Trish. Um, I think this is terribly structured uh, gag which is essentially uh, something that you that is used in uh, it's almost as a trope in kids movies and the idea of don't scream don't scream don't alert anybody uh, there's a dead body who's that, that has the neck severed off him lying in Jessica's bed right behind Malcolm and as Trish arrives of course she's going to scream at the thought of that um, she does flip and take the take a gun out and point it at Malcolm's head so at least there's a good ending to it but that shouldn't be used as a gag, should it? In in this pretty serious I, episode, I thought I thought it worked. I thought for that the exact that exact reason, which was it was a trope. Don't scream! Don't scream! Don't scream! Ah! I was like, ah, you're so good. You're so funny. <laughs> like literally, I just went. Oh, I thought they were going to do something different, and they didn't. I was like, oh, okay, that works. <laughs> so they used the exact trope, and that's what. Yeah, I think because like, you you expect we're expecting so many flips. We're like, oh, this is going to be the standard, the cliche. It's going to be the trope. It's gotten. Uh, oh, you didn't. Okay, that's cool. Right. And then when they're like, you're going to do it, you're going to do it. I know they're going to flip it now. No, they didn't. Oh, okay, that's quite I, kind of, I like that she pulled the gun on Malcolm. I think that's that's the right, that would have been the right impulse to go with, to just go straight for that. You know, don't scream, don't scream, don't scream. And then when she sees it, she goes, oh my God, and pulls a gun on him. But yeah, is it you that's done this? Exactly. But remember, the other thing that really gets to me about it is what we know about the show is that Robin's usually upstairs hearing everything that Jessica's done. So Robin should have been running down the stairs at that point. Perhaps she was out shopping. Obviously, that that's going to be the excuse for it. But I just I just felt they didn't really need that. Uh, Trish is a pretty strong character. Um, I know anybody, if I saw a dead body like that lying out of bed, I probably would scream. But it just felt a little bit out of, the, out of sync with the rest of the season so far. No, I get that. I just note to team now if we ever want to scare Derek. Head in the bed. Leave a dead yeah. body in a bed, yeah. I yeah, think that'll yeah. scare any, any of the three of us. Uh, Chris, what's your final point? Um, so my point comes from when uh, Jessica goes to say her goodbyes in the uh, bar. Mm. And the... the el- we don't have a name for the elderly barman yet, do we? We don't, we don't. No, okay, so I have him... I've, my note is the elderly barman. Uh-huh. Um, so he kind of makes a joke, you were going to have his baby... Uh, when you were coming to see Mr. Luke Cage, I was like, ah, oh, that's quite... Again, that's a nod to in the comic books. Spoiler alert, it's been eight years, if you haven't read the comic books. Um, they they have a child. Uh-huh. I thought it was a nice... That was literally just a nice nod to 
I'd say the comic book, and those who also went, ah! You know what? Isn't that so bizarre? I didn't take it. And you're absolutely right. That's exactly what, what it is. Yeah. I just took it as him going, I've had so many women call over to this bar after Luke is, has dumped them, going, I'll do anything for him. I'll have his baby. I did not take, of course it is. Of course mm. it's a reference to the fact they have a baby together. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I just, because it did, it took me a second. Yeah. I actually had to watch this episode twice because my girlfriend was catching up on it. And right. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't get it in the first one either. Right. I right. got it on the second time. And I was just like, ah. So again, this lends to, I'm pretty sure there's tons of eggs and nods and other pieces that we missed. It's mm-hmm. a treasure hunt. It is, it it's is. It's turning into a treasure hunt. Like, I'm pretty sure. So as like, our listeners are probably probably on their second watch through now, so mm-hmm. they're going to see stuff. And please let us know. Um, it's, it is that kind of show where you, there probably is a lot of kind of eggs for it. Absolutely. There is one we missed from episode one of the show that I've recently been made aware of, uh, which I just want to call out now while we're talking about yeah. eggs we may have missed, essentially. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> you got to go back and pick them up. Absolutely. Um, yeah, essentially, Hogarth is defending a, um, a a the owner of a bar in the first episode. She mentions that there's a, a strip club owner um, who one of the strippers has fallen off uh, the dance pole and hurts her head. Um, she's supposed to be defending the strip club owner. Jessica goes, that's not very like you that you would be defending a strip club owner. She says, no, no, I'm actually involved in certain parties who are looking to acquire his address. Yeah? Does that smart anything for you? Oh. Yeah, so Daredevil Season 1, one of the big plot lines in it is that people are buying up land across Hell's Kitchen, essentially. So this is a little reference, which I found out way after I watched the episode, but a little reference to the fact that Hogarth's uh, actually involved with people that are looking to buy up some of the areas around Hell's Kitchen. So, nope. lends credence to the villain theory. Possibly. Even more. Yeah. Because yeah. she's involved in part of the criminal empire. Exactly. exactly. <sighs> and, and, and it's huh? part of the big law firm that ultimately Foggy and Matt are trying to be counter to. Yeah. So it's really, yeah, that's... Well, was that actually, was that, is it the law firm? No. It's not the same law firm. Not the same. Not the same law firm. But they, it looks like they're using many law firms in New York then uh, for this for this purpose. So uh, quite an interesting little uh, little one that slipped by us when we watched the first episode. And just quickly, from, from that bar scene as well, two of the things that I really kind of liked from that was just um, the, the old barman saying... Do you know what happens when you burn a bridge? You have to learn to swim or fly. So again, that was a nice little uh, nod. So maybe she has to learn to fly mm-hmm. and not just jump and hop. Um, but, um, you know, it's a nice little uh, thing to take home. Yeah. And then also that, um, you know, Jessica ultimately is going there to kind of, I don't know, mend the bridge rather than burn it, but or at least say sorry, whether he would even consider listening to her at this stage, who knows. But you know, she does turn around to the old guy and say the right people are going to pay for what's happened. Mm-hmm. So like to an extent she's meaning herself because she wants to get herself um put in a super maximum security prison. So yeah, I mean it's it's really um that there were two things that I just took from yeah. from that. Yeah. Sorry, and just a question. Aside from the vision, is there anyone who actually flies in the MCU yet? So, Tony Stark has mm-hmm. the jets. Yeah. Thor is pulled by Minyor. Yeah. Vision is theoretically just changing his density. He's not flying. Mm-hmm. So, it, no, there's no one, is no, there? Fly? No, no. 
no, there's, there's no Superman-esque that just no. defies gravity. No. no. Oh. Yeah, so it is just Jessica. Jessica's the first one with the flying ability. In terms of, well, um, she's saying that she kind of hasn't controlled it. Cause yeah. That, yeah, no, that's interesting. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, nice, yeah, nice little catch there. On to you for the final point of this episode, John. Yeah, my final point is basically that Mal gives Ruben... Um, a burial at sea, and I like in a really crappy part of the Docklands around New York. But I love, uh, you know, he says it in French. I love that he says a beautiful funeral doesn't guarantee heaven. Um, I thought that was a nice little line Absolutely, for yeah. for Ruben. You know that yes, I'm dumping you off the side of a dock in an industrial area, but that doesn't mean you're precluded from you know a better a better life in the afterlife yeah. and who knows he might uh leading up to uh doctor strange 2016 he might bump into him on the astral plane in maybe. the afterlife <laughs> maybe maybe ruben might appear there he might become dormammu who knows <laughs> <laughs> i did i have to say i did think that scene was was beautifully put together yeah i didn't particularly think the scene of uh, of Ruben's body being dragged down there by Malcolm was particularly believable, um, considering they live, they live on a fourth floor walk up. Um, pretty unlikely that Malcolm would have been able to get the body there without anybody seeing it. It is New York, after all, the city that never sleeps. So uh, presumably somebody would have had eyes on Malcolm dragging a body down to uh, down to the docks in a sheet. Um, even even uh, Kingpin's mom had to cut up a body and and do it over four or five weeks to throw it into the docks in New York. So. That's true. That's yeah. true. But I, I like <laughs> the burial. The burial was great. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I think with that, has anyone got any notes for for this episode? Question that I want to put out to our listeners. Yeah. Um, in the opening titles, uh, there is a gentleman that looks like he's kind of boxing. It's the man, the shadow of a ma- male man. As he's walking and slightly boxing. Have a look. I'll, I'll show it to you. Interesting. Uh, I'm wondering if it's a nod to Mr. Murdoch. Maybe. I, I could be literally projecting now. Right. Because I'm trying to find dare, more Daredevil linkage <laughs> or just waiting to see Matt Murdoch. Yeah. Um, but I'm just wondering if that's him. I wonder, yeah, I wonder. I definitely think there's one of the elements of the show that we haven't really talked about a huge amount. But I'm definitely feeling a lot more of New York being used in this show than they used in Daredevil. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more of the area of, Hell Ki- of Hell's Kitchen, which we walked around when we were over at New York Comic Con, and there's a lot more of those areas that I can specifically identify. I know that street, I know that road, I know that building. He's much stalking more than, Jessica Jones. Well, yeah. Well, yeah much more than Daredevil. Certainly were the... No, I agreed. Certainly were the, the bus crash happened that mm-hmm. killed Reaver. That is just literally uh, up from the Javits Center where New York Comic Con's held, and I like yeah. we walked down there a few times, and it, it's instantly recognizable in that it it's right next to um, one of the tunnels that goes under the Hudson, and then of course you've got the um, you've got the the, the motor repair um, garage there. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. So I'm wondering if a lot of the credits for the show or a lot of the title sequence for the show is essentially just images of people from Hell's Kitchen, just again to give the indication that this is more about all of the city of New York. So mm. is the guy boxing? Is that just... A is, guy is boxing. It, no, 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 no. I mean, you are right. It's what I mean. I think it is a reference to Jack Murdoch being a boxer because oh, okay. he is a member of the city of, of Hell's Kitchen or the area of Hell's Kitchen. The I wonder burb. if that's just a reference. The um, burb. The burb. The, the burb, burb of Hell's no, Kitchen. No, it was not the burb. The... The borough. The borough. The borough of Hell's Kitchen, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if that if that's the reason why it's in there, because he is a member of the Hell's Kitchen. Uh, I actually thought it was more uh, Matt. 
Interesting. Yeah, of course, because um, he's a boxer as well. Yeah, and because it looked, he doesn't have the thing flowing down the back of his head, right. i.e. The, the mask, but I'm just wondering if it's Matt in his, in the boxing club. In Fogwells. Fogwells. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Again, have a look. Note, possible, possible, not question. Yeah. Interesting. We will have a look. John, do you have any notes yourself? Yeah, I've got a little um, highly specific uh, one that only people potentially in Ireland will get. Um, and that was that um, Jessica Jones keeps talking about the Supermax uh, <laughs> prison. I got this as well, I know what you're going And for. at the one stage towards the end, all I could hear was Supermax, uh-huh. um, as in, like, Mac. And uh, that is a fast food joint all, uh, in County Galway. It's across and Ireland and across Dublin. Um, they sponsor the Galway GAA teams. Uh, but, but unfortunately, for probably about the last 20 minutes when Jessica Jones was talking about Supermax, got all I was Supermax. thinking was of fast food joints. Um, I was thinking she was going to get a burger and some chips. I've got to get myself into Supermax. Like She she was so hungry that she had to go to this fast food joint. You'd want to be. Um, she'd become obsessed with... Um... I'm currently obsessed with burritos, so I understand the feeling. But uh, yeah, that, that's just a little thing. Supermax... Uh, in Ireland is a fast food joint and I know it was a super max prison but yeah. it just started to merge into this fast food joint for me it was really I funny I know exactly what you mean I know exactly what you mean it's a little quirky thing there that um, I think only people in Ireland would probably uh, understand yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, one of the things that did that did pop up for me and I, I totally got the super max gag there as well but one of the things that did pop up for me is wouldn't this be the location that Jessica would bump into Kingpin and presume that he he is one of the top shelf perverts that uh, that is put into a prison like the Supermax prison in New York? Um, so it would have been quite interesting if she had gotten in there and maybe that's the location that uh, that Kingpin's in. Or as we speculated during the season of Daredevil, that potentially Daredevil sent to the Supermax prison along with with Kingpin, which uh, which I thought was quite interesting. But yeah. Oh, for a supermax. Um, John, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do. I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Again, I at this stage, I really can't actually see myself um, not defending an episode of Jessica Jones. I mean, unless there is some kind of mega breakdown in, in just the writing or whatever, which I just don't see mm-hmm. happening. Um, so I do, and I give this another um, top-notch score, really. Uh, and this is going to be uh, 4.5 Supermax uh, out of 5. <laughs> because, um, like, for me, this really just... I love the swap uh, between Malcolm and uh, Jessica here. I like seeing that Jessica, this was all getting far too much for her. You know, the, the plan to get her put away in prison... I liked kind of her life tour where she goes to Luke Cage. She goes to um, Trisha's mum. Mm-hmm. She's kind of trying to settle things before she gets put away. I love kind of, again, just the Hogarth, you know, the going to defend her at the police precinct um, and, you know, basically saying... I'm not going to be a defense. She's incompetent. That's that. And that would be her defense for, for Jessica Jones. She, Hogarth doesn't want to lose this, this fight, but it all just breaks down for her. And you have the big uh, meeting and the police precinct scene. And for me, yeah. 
that was um, really, really good. And I, I just liked all that. You had the death of, um, you know, a minor character, but I think one that for me personally, anyway, I had really wanted to see develop. So that was kind of a, a wrenching aspect, which I thought it's good to have those feelings as well when you're watching these shows that it's not all how you expect it to be, that you have those moments where it flips on a dime and, and you have to sort of adjust. And for me, I was having to adjust to Ruben's murder here uh, and in the same way that Jessica was doing. So for me, I really liked this episode for those reasons. And it was all topped off with a cherry on top with that police precinct scene. I really liked it. I thought it was solid. Um, and it, it really sort of then moves towards that creepy element where then Jessica is heading back to her old childhood home. And again, just another layer of the absolute detestful kind of character that Kilgrave is uh, that he's just so manipulative and he's just infiltrating and peeling back the layers of, of Jessica's sanity probably at this stage so she's superhuman just to keep it together and for all those reasons I just really like this episode so I do defend aka top shelf perverts Chris do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones um, I do, unsurprisingly. Um, this was a really, really good episode. And at the end of this kind of... This is about our halfway point through the season. Mm-hmm. At the end of this episode, and we actually didn't mention it, Jessica's given up, or seemingly given up. She's walked into Kilgrave, opening a loving embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this now... She actually has mentally just kind of thrown, the t- thrown in the towel? Or is this just a goad, Kilgrave into false insecurity. Um, I just found it really, really good. And then we have the questions about Simpson, obviously, aside from is he nuke, not, is he not nuke? But, like, what was he doing there? He's What's he going to do now that he's just seen her walk in? Mm-hmm. And why was he just there and lying and the whole Trish part? And then what is Kilgrave's plan with buying, which we can only assume is her childhood home? Yes. And he is yeah. remaking it in the image of her house when she was a child. Yeah. Like is he? And he didn't actually use his powers to get this. Mm-hmm. Well, he did. He he for the to get the money, but he happily kind of bought it. So when she asks, like, why did you? How did you do this? You tell him to leave. He's like, no, I bought it. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I I do, and I'm like, like some the piling on of Easter eggs, the piling on of questions. I would love to know what someone who hadn't been a fan of Marvel kind of gets this uh, gets out of this. Mm. Like I'm getting so much in terms of the Easter egg, the nods, the the character development, because we are we're examining this and we're seeing we're looking at different different angles. Mm. So I I defend it, but I'd love to see if someone who wasn't so much of a, a Marvel fan or just dipped their toe in what they thought of these current kind of seven episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And I just one other thing that I kind of just want to add there is that I actually didn't expect it would be. At this kind of situation, halfway through, mm-hmm. like I didn't expect that they would go after Kilgraves up there in episode four. Like for me, this is doing things that I wasn't expecting from it. That it's you know like how you're talking about the the crescendo. Yeah. It is, but it's not a crescendo in the sense of just. It seems like it's a crescendo in each episode yeah. happening. Certainly since episode five and. 
that's nothing against the first four even, but it's it's just like you know you have the murder of Reuben and, and the the precinct scene. You had in the last episode you had you know Luke Cage and, and the move towards that breakdown between Jessica and and Luke, and it's just at this moment in time. Whereas in Daredevil, um, Matt Murdock was becoming more and more stronger as as Daredevil. Jessica's almost becoming more degraded and weaker. Mm. And it's kind of like a flip side. I really am enjoying it, I have to say. Oh, the the fall before the rise kind yeah. of thing. Start. I didn't actually even look at it, think of it that way. Yeah. I just assumed she, they were just going to leave her somewhat damaged and until Luke Cage show. But it could be that... But it they're... could be that as well. I mean, oh, yeah, who yeah, knows? Yeah. Yeah. But again, that. is this the, the burden of knowledge, if you want to call it that? Maybe. That we, we know so much and we're looking into it so much that maybe we are looking... Too hard into and to some of these. No, we're not. Nah, no, of course not. not. It is. It is interesting though. There are some really good points. So therefore, in the end, I do defend this episode. Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? There's just so much that went on in this episode. So much to talk about. We. I don't think we even covered half the things I wanted to talk about in this episode. Um, it's fantastic. It's a really, really good episode. Um, loved everything that was going on. Loved the precinct scene. Loved. The idea that essentially Kilgrave has has decided to camp out in Jessica's home territory, as as you mentioned, Chris, he's decided to ju- just buy it outright to do it the right way. It seems like in Kilgrave's head, he's decided to um to kind of go in the straight and narrow. He's no longer using his powers for some of the things he probably would have in the past because he feels like he wants to impress Jessica. That's a really interesting twist for the character that I didn't see coming. The death of Reuben, clearly by some of our comments in previous episodes. I never saw it coming. Uh, they're really good at doing this on this show, and this is another great entry in uh, in Jessica Jones. Really, really enjoyed this episode. Yes, highly defended, and I cannot wait for episode eight. I think with that, we can move on to some feedback from some of our listeners. Yep, uh, this week we got some feedback on Twitter. Um, you can follow us on Defenders Cast, or you can send us some feedback if you want to email us to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Uh, our first piece of feedback comes in from Sylvie. She says, I really liked your point of view about when JJ saved Malcolm the night she encounters Kilgrave. Great podcast. So uh, that was on episode five. What we spoke about was uh, essentially that um, Jessica saved Malcolm and Kilgrave turned him into a uh, into a heroin addict and then turned her into the person that was following her because of the fact that um, that it was the person that Jessica had saved. So, um, yeah, I thought really, really liked that point. I know it was a bit of a, a proper conversation with myself and John, quite an in-depth, kind of controversial conversation between the two of us, both having an opinion as to why uh, Malcolm was chosen as uh, as this victim, essentially. But, um, but yeah, it seemed like a pretty... A pretty crazy one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Secondly, Rebecca gets back in contact with us over on Twitter. Uh, she says, how about Zhou Sheng as the red-eyed Asian man? Uh, I actually think it was trolling us a little bit in the show, but if it had to be an Iron Fist-related character, he fits. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I said Davos uh, at the time. He's uh, the Steel Serpent. He is one of Mother Crane's uh, agents. I definitely think that Xiao Sheng um, really does potentially fit the bill here. And I, I know um, that he's involved with a big uh, fight uh, in the Immortal Iron Fist series um, in the, the the one of the kingdoms of heaven mm-hmm. that is uh, 
part of the Iron Fist world. So that could be a really interesting character to bring in. And that certainly would be taking it uh, down a mystical, uh, magical uh, direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rebecca goes on to say, uh, by the way, when I was watching, I was totally with you thinking it was Davos. Loved the Hydra Goon idea too. <laughs> good, good call. Um, I think everyone is expecting Davos as well. So it would be a different baddie than we're expecting if it's Zhao Sheng. Um Finally, Rebecca says, on to episode five. Uh, that is absolutely the same costume Steve Rogers wore undercover, the same one that uh, that uh, Will Simpson, as we're going to call him, uh, was wearing in the episode. So, uh, nice catch me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a bit of mirroring, she says. So I got one of my predictions right, or one of my little guesses at crossovers, right? Our final bit of feedback comes from Ronaldo, also over on Twitter. Um, he says, the episode five scene with the jewel costume is brilliant. Richard's dry delivery, seeing the costume on screen, and Trisha's enthusiasm for all things superheroes were all enjoyable to see will we see the hellcat costume down the line yeah i'm i'm calling it if not in uh season one at least in season two they're building up too much Mm -hmm. for it not to happen unless it's a complete red herring in that they're going to build it up build it up and they're going to kill off trish or something like that don't say things like that it's very highly possible (laughs) in this show Wow. Uh, it's, it's a Game of Thrones book for the Marvel Universe. It is. Yeah. I hope we see the, the Hellcat costume yeah. too. And actually, just quickly on the season two thing, Melissa Rosenberg did um, chat about the possibility of a season two for Jessica Jones, I think, this week. I think mm. we put the link up on, on one of our Facebook pages and groups. But again, you know, that could be a, a long-term project for uh, Trish to become Hellcat, and it might not be till uh, season two, or maybe the very end of season one that we get to see her, definitely. Yeah. No, I'm starting to see that this probably... So we've got Daredevil season two, and then we've got... Um, we'll probably have Jessica Jones. So what, the way this is probably going to flow out is after Jessica Jones series one, we're going to have Daredevil season two, and then we'll have Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably have Jessica Jones season two. Mm-hmm. Then we'll have um, probably Iron Fist at that point after. Or if they haven't got that, then you've got Daredevil season three, then Iron Fist, then Defenders. Or Luke Cage season two's got to fill in there somewhere. Oh, as yeah, well. but then Luke it Cage is, season two. So it is interesting. They, yeah. they, they have given enough time. Like, I, 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 I will bet that the way this will happen is. Every six months, we'll get a season of something. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Melissa Rosenberg's point was that she actually is has some really big ideas for season two. She pretty much knows where she wants the character to go. She's really excited by the feedback that they've gotten for Jessica Jones. Seems to have been going down really well. The reviews are stellar. Um, obviously, they're listening to our podcast because they know uh, know how much we like it. Um, <laughs> of course, but, uh, she she calls us out all the time. Absolutely, but. Um, but yeah, that essentially they they're pretty happy with it. But there's been no actual confirmed uh, discussion about a season two no. or whether it would take place before Defenders or after Defenders. So we don't actually know. Uh, Daredevil got got confirmed within about two weeks, I think, of of it airing, even a couple of days of it airing, actually, that the season two was coming. Um, whereas Jessica didn't, it hasn't gotten that just yet. Um, I think it is a very different show than than Marvel were probably expecting or than Netflix were probably expecting when it was released, but it seems to be going down really well. So um, I'm hoping that they're going to be as confident in Jessica as they are in, in Matt. Yeah, these season twos are being floated out there, and, and rightly so. I mean, this is a great TV show. Um, they obviously happy uh, with the script, the writing, the production. Absolutely. And um, certainly, yeah, it seems 
really good reviews for this, and and quite rightly, it's great. Mm-hmm, I'm loving it. Uh, and finally, Ronaldo goes on to on to say, and he weighs in on the Kilgrave argument, um, as if there was one. Ronaldo says, Kilgrave, in my humble opinion, is the best Marvel villain to date. So creepy and scary, whereas Fisk was scary and, and psychopathic. We still empathize with him and see Fisk struggle with his morals. Fisk has a noble purpose to improve his city, but goes about it all the wrong way. Kilgrave is a pure sociopath. He doesn't care what happens to others, and his goals are purely self-indulgent. Added to that, his power to force people to do horrible things makes him the scariest villain in the MCU and the MTVU so far. It's kind of like a truth sermon away as well, as many of those controlled admit to agreeing with their immoral actions or thoughts. Fascinating. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I love that idea that, yeah, ultimately they're complicit. It's being opened up to their dark side, um, which is really... Is, is actually a great for villains to have this idea that, you know, um, the con- they can control the bad that is there maybe incumbent in everyone. Like, um, so it's, that's a really interesting point um, and a really good one, actually. I like that. And I also like the fact that actually in this episode, Jessica Jones does say that she is also a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, like... And we have the whole "you compliment me." It's kind of they're both sociopaths, but with for very different reasons. Absolutely, and it's kind of an interesting thought as well. Yeah. Chris Kingpin no. versus Kilgrave. Yeah, I, I, I find it tough. I, I do think Kilgrave probably is the best we have at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the I agree with Ronaldo's point because I remember it was the the father who became the chauffeur for Kilgrave. He left his yeah. kids yes. on the side of the road because he was the kid was screaming. He was like, "I just wanted to leave. I just wanted my kid to shut up." Mm-hmm. And Kilgrave said, "Why didn't you leave it on the road?" There was that element. There, you're doing your innermost worst evil kind of thoughts that you have. Right. So yeah, no, that was good. In terms of whether Kilgrave is the the best worst Marvel villain to date, I agree and to disagree. Okay. I think yes, for the points that raise Kilgrave is a better typical villain in that he is just the big bad mm. the reason I loved Kingpin up until the very end of Daredevil was you empathised with him for that exact reason you could see his point of view yeah. it was great in that okay actually he was willing to just do bad things to get shit done in what he thought was the best way mm-hmm. so if that is makes you a villain so be it I'm, I'm a bit I'm in te- I'm team Kingpin right now mm-hmm. whereas I can understand why people would be team Kilgrave absolutely I think the, the great thing about the villains we've seen both in Daredevil and now in Jessica Jones is that they're able to be explored their motives their reasons whether it's selfish uh, in the case of Kilgrave where it's for his own pleasure his own betterment and actually um, you know those selfish reasons or Wilson Fisk you know has this notion of wanting to make his city a better place and and how you go about doing that and how it contradicts with someone else who wants to do that in the case of Daredevil but in a different way or through different uh, means and I think these series have been able to explore all those different facets of an evil person or a bad guy, um, which 
with probably the exception of Loki so far, have not been able to be done in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for example, with Ant-Man, unfortunately, I did think that the bad guy in that was the least rounded. It was a, kind of a, a trope of a bad guy, really, um, in in Ant-Man. Well, is we, I, you, why won't you make me your... Yeah, like, it, it, it was... It was just... It was, yeah. yeah it, 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 and that's just because... Like they don't have time to explore that in in, in any greater depth. I still loved the film, but yeah. I just think they're able to explore it better, and, and so that certainly, um, I think, in that sense, makes them probably some of the best bad guys in in the Marvel universe that we've actually seen and, and looked at on TV. Yeah. I think you can go into some of the comics, and you can see that actually as well. They are. There's a lot of other great bad guys or evil people in there um, that are given the room to 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 breathe and be explored on on the page, just as these shows do that for TV. Absolutely, no, absolutely agree. And I would say I, I would, because I'm a Shield fan, I would add Ward to that. I think Ward is also becoming a really good villain. And again, because they have the time on TV, it sometimes feels with the MCU movies that they're that when they're in the editing process, they edit out everything to do with the villain and just leave them with. You know, his, his little rant at the start, rant in the middle, and his fight at the end where he gets beaten. That seems like it, like Malkius in Thor of the Dark World. I don't remember anything about his motivation at all, the Dark Elf. And he's the bad guy for that entire film. The what, Red Skull what is it? in the original Captain America, like the, the first Avenger. Mm-hmm. He is your typical kind of body. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, ah. Uh, like, if they hadn't given him... The property is on the cutting room floors. Yeah. These great siloquies where they talk about why they believe it in the Hydra, the way of the Hydra, and mm-hmm. so forth. But I just think, yeah, I think the fact that we get thirteen-hour films, or in some cases twenty, well, about twenty hours for some of the uh, the Marvel's Agents Shields, mm-hmm. about yeah. twenty hours a season. Twenty-two hours a season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you get to explore a lot more. Absolutely. But on the question of Kilgrave versus versus Kingpin. They're two completely different characters. I loved watching the creation of Wilson Fisk, having episode six, I think, of uh, Daredevil, where it went back to him uh, as a child and why he became the way he is now was fascinating. I don't think we're going to get that with Kilgrave. I'm not sure. We might. We might get that with Kilgrave. Um, Possibly. But so far, what we've seen of the character, I love his ability. I love I love that he's a superhuman, and I love that he's using it for nefarious means. We don't really get to see that very often, and even in the films, we don't get to see that very often. Um I think people were comparing him to Loki because Loki controls minds. Kilgrave it doesn't do it in a fun way at all. Loki seems to, because he's the, the god of mischief, he seems to like having the mischief, whereas Kilgrave just gets what he wants. There's a big difference between those two characters as well. But, yeah, a really interesting point. But if you're in the teams, which would you be? If you were forced, gun to the head. Kilgrave or? Kingpin. Kingpin. Oh, you gotta it's I chose Team Kingpin. You gotta choose one. Yeah, just for right now, right, as we know. Right now, I'm seven episodes into this show, and I loved Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of um, Wilson Fisk for 13 episodes of a season. So right now, I'm still Team Wilson Fisk, but I love David Tennant and I love Kilgrave in the show. I think I'd have to get shot in the head. I love Wilson Fisk because he's not got powers. He's not a superhero. He's not a supervillain. He is a guy who is a brute ultimately and is a wealthy brute um, and that is great mm-hmm. Kilgrave is a super powered villain and 
I'm absolutely loving David Tennant's portrayal in the same way that I like Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal. Um, they're great, and I like them both. Ask okay. me that question after yeah, 13 I, episodes. Yeah. Um, but definitely, at the moment, what they did with Wilson Fisk, I really, really enjoyed. Because mm-hmm. it, it was a regular person who just was a brute. This is an unhinged uh, super villain. Um, but the one thing I loved about this episode was just the fact that that's what drives him towards Jessica is that she makes him feel vulnerable um, mm. and maybe not super powered. Yeah. I lo- so I, I like that element that was brought into this episode. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Thanks very much for that feedback, Ronaldo. And But we want to know what you think. So tell us, are you Team Kingpin or Team Kilgrave? Hashtag Team Kilgrave, hashtag Team Kingpin, and come back to us. Let us know. We actually want to see. We'll do a quick poll. Mm-hmm. Out of all our listeners, quick either quick tweet or a quick post in our Facebook group or on the Facebook page, just let us know which are you. And then what we'll do is maybe come back in the next two or three episodes and we'll do a quick poll and tell you the results. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you want to send in your feedback, just make sure to send it to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Just mark it with the episode you're, you're sending your feedback about. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at DefendersCast. Or if you want to join us in our group on Facebook, just find us under Defenders TV Podcast and look for the group or page. The page is usually where we post our episodes. The group is where we have our discussions really about the episodes. And remember, you can find us and subscribe uh, to our podcast at uh, DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes or just search Defenders TV Podcast in any good podcast catcher, Beyond Pod, Podcast Addict, Player FM or Stitcher uh, and subscribe to us there uh, where you can pick up our Jessica Jones podcast that we'll drop every Tuesday from now to January 2016. Um, But I think with that, there's been a great discussion, a really big episode filled with a lot of talking points. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll speak to you next time. Adios. I'm off for some banana bread. Bye. 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 This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.